Hey there, Dragonfly Nation. Caleb coming to you with a really cool offer from my dear friend Chris Gilmore from Chris Outdoors. When you first get started exploring the outdoors, whether it be through hunting, camping, or survival skills, it can all get a little bit mm, daunting and maybe even overwhelming in regards to how much there is to learn. Having a solid foundation in tracking and naturalist skills can help open the door to bushcraft and make you learn much faster. It can also just make things outdoors that much for, uh, that much more fun and exciting. What bird made that call? What animal does that track belong to? What do those clouds mean in regards to the incoming weather? Nature awareness is a skill set that is transferable to all aspects of bushcraft and beyond. Whether you are a hunter, a trapper, an angler, a survivalist, a paddler, or a hiker, this skill set can help make you safer and make your experiences that much more enjoyable. Chris has taught literally thousands of people how to read sign, whether it be through tracks, bird language, or the environment itself. And with his new online learning course, Reading Nature's Language, he can help you take your skills to the next level. Even though it is based online, you will have access to tons of practical activities and challenges that will make you the woodland Jedi you always wanted to be. Check out the trailer and more details at www.learnnatureslanguage.com. And just to sweeten the deal for you, enter the promo code DRAGONFLY to get 25% off the course. Again, that is www.learnnatureslanguage.com with the promo code DRAGONFLY for 25% off. To know the landscape is to open up a door. Than you've ever felt before. We know that you will love this podcast. So shut your mouth and listen to Canadian Bushcraft. Hey there, Dragonfly Nation. Back in February, Ry the Adventure Guy and I went north when it was still safe to do so. We spent a week on the homestead of Kylan Maroney, who is one of the participants and truly stars of the seventh season of Alone. Kylan and her amazing husband, Dave Maroney, have been running trips across the frozen north for a decade now, introducing people to their long-distance trekking life through their company, Lure of the North. Ryan and I got a chance to sit down and talk to Kylan about her life in the north, her time on Alone, and what she has planned for the future. So Ryan and I are here in Espa, uh, near Espanola, Ontario, and we've been up here for about seven days now working on a trap line with a new friend of ours, and that friend of ours is Kylan Maroney. Yeah. And Kylan has a pretty good repertoire of background. Like You've got some cool things to talk about of who you are and where you come from, so maybe give us the little Coles Notes or Reader's Digest version, and we'll dive into those subjects a little bit more. So who is Kylan? <laughs> who am I? That's a good question. Sometimes I don't even know who I am. Um, I'm Kylan and I co-own Lure of the North with my husband, Dave. And we take people out on wilderness uh, adventures. We teach workshops on wilderness living and we live off grid at a remote Wilderness property um, near Espanola, and we specialize in traditional uh, snowshoe travel. So we take people by snowshoe, um, and we walk on rivers and lakes and travel through the boreal forest, 
sleeping in a canvas tent heated by a wood stove. We cut our own firewood and lay on a bed of boughs and um, most of the gear we've made ourselves using a blend of traditional and modern materials. Um, we have our own snowshoes, make our own moccasins and mittens and toboggans. anoraks and toboggans and yeah, travel through the wilderness. And that's our sort of main passion is, is getting people outside, getting people comfortable in the winter and pushing people's limits. And that's something that we really like to do. Um, but we've also got a different part of our business where we, we have the um, trap line in our surrounding area. So we take right. people on uh, life on the trap line. So for a week we go out and um, travel by snowshoe and uh, trap beavers mostly. And then, so that's for one week and then we come back and um, do all of the butchering and hide tanning and we make soap and jerky and preserve the skulls and that is where I met you. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. It's been pretty fun. Yeah. Heard a lot about you, but I had never <laughs> met you. So it's really great to be able to connect finally. Totally. It's, mm -hmm. it's been really, for me, watching you work here. First off, like I, have to, I kind of have to paint a picture for our, for our listeners. This place, if you watch Lure the North on YouTube and you see the little clips and the little videos that they do, that are sometimes seven minutes long, sometimes 13 minutes long. You get a sense of like, oh yeah, they're real back in the back in the woods. They're really off grid. They're living in this tiny little hut out of nowhere. <laughs> and then Ryan and I arrived here. Uh, Ryan got here before I did. And I was trying to trek my way, but I'm portly and chafing in the legs because I have no thigh gap. <laughs> and so I was taking my sweet time getting here. And when I finally showed up, Kylan actually had to save me with a snowmobile and drag my ass back here. <laughs> and just as we come out of the trees, like this tiny little hut that you think it is on YouTube. That's a lie. This thing is like a mansion. This is <laughs> the most beautiful out of the way wilderness retreat I've ever been to in my life. Mm. And I'm not saying that gently. I'm saying that in, or honestly and earnestly. I'm honestly stunned by what you and Dave have done here. Thank you. It's a work in progress. but As yeah. they all are. As, and how long have you guys been working as uh, Lou of the North? What have you been, how long have you guys been doing this stuff? Lou of the North is, uh, We'll be in our 11th year this year. Right on. Yeah. And we've been out here. This is our seventh winter here, living here. So we started the company back in Sudbury. Right. Um, and yeah, so we've been, we wanted to, we lived in Sudbury and we, our house was, we, you know, we had just gotten married and we couldn't afford the mortgage payments. So we still had two roommates to help with that. Right. And, you know, our business was growing and, and we were starting to just run out of space for all of our gear. And, you know, we, we teach workshops and that sort of thing. So we just were running out of space and we really felt like, how can we live an authentic life and run a business that like is a wilderness guiding company and we live in downtown Sudbury. Like it just does, <laughs> it's like, okay, we need to walk the walk here. And so for a couple of years, we were looking for a property and we, we stumbled on this place and it was on Kijiji of all places. <laughs> and it was like 40 acres of paradise. And there was just two pixelated photos. One was the pond. One was the lake that we're connected to and GPS coordinates. Wow. And it was like, okay, this is, 
yeah, we got to look at this place because our, you know, our budget, we just come out of university, you know, with like no money. And uh, yeah, so we we literally hit the jackpot, the gold mine here. Yeah. This is a patent gold mine claim, um, which is why we call it on Golden Pond. Okay. Um, and also because the, the sedge and the grasses, they all turn a beautiful gold yeah. color in the fall. And it's also my dad's favorite movie. <laughs> um yeah so we've been working non-stop at developing the, the place and and hopefully uh well it's already starting to offer more and more workshops here and, totally. and just have it be a place sort of like where good minds can come and share their their experiences and and expertise that we don't have because we've got a lot very cool and, and it's truly dumbfounding we've been around going we're on our 13th year this year i believe for canadian bushcraft coming up in the fall and we have tarps <laughs> <laughs> we have tarps and we have a little we have like a five acre section of land that we do some stuff oh we got a tent now we have a tent now we build everything on the spot and yeah. tear it down afterwards pretty exactly. much yeah it's very it's very i think the only permanent structure there is the latrine that we built like yeah. three years ago because we needed to stop pooping over our log kind of thing at our camp <laughs> But uh, it's they, they, you've got this little bunkie, you've got all these beautiful snow trekker tents and uh, the prospector style wall tents, and you've got all these obviously the outbuildings all around. You have some A-frame, some uh, shelter logic style, Quonset hut yeah. style things, mm -hmm. but then these beautiful wood sheds mm -hmm. that are tin roofed and everything else. It's some amazing infrastructure that you set up here. And as, as an instructor who's been running my own business as long as I have, like. Adopt me. I, I, that's that's the best I can put it. This is like this is the this is the dream for almost any outdoor school I can think of. Is like this kind of you really have hit the gold mine here mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, and that's yeah. got to be from like I'm assuming from both you and Dave just biting the bullet and saying like this is the dream. This is what we can get. Yeah. Totally. Am I hitting the right note there? Yeah, totally. You just have to take that step. We kind of gave ourselves ultimatums. Like when we found the property, we had just built up enough equity in our home in Sudbury that we could refinance, pay for the property. And we had like $3,000 to start and right. we didn't have a boat. We didn't have a motor. We didn't have a generator. We didn't have a chainsaw. We didn't have a tent to live in. Um, you know, and so it was just like, well, we're making it work. And so part of that $3,000 was like buying a bunch of Rubbermaids and like <laughs> throwing all your stuff in it. And, like we knew the first, the first year we moved. So we start, we bought the property in the fall, didn't do anything because we ran 11 workshops that fall and then six expeditions. And then in uh, March, as soon as we got back, we started walking on the ice, uh, hauling stuff in by like we were hauling the canoe because there'd be an open lead at either end. So we'd be walking on the, ice with the canoe and right. we gave ourselves until september 1st to move out of our home and move into the bush and then we still had a full workshop season a full expedition season like to go so it's just been non-stop like work but it's been like the best thing that we could have done totally because you don't get where you want to go without putting in that sweat totally yeah and it's it's no joke we got here and one group was finishing their course and then 
I think it was two days into this course, mm -hmm. another group showed up. So one group leaves or one group at one course ends, another one begins the very next morning. Mm -hmm. And then two days later, another course. So your husband's not even here. Dave's not <laughs> even here with us because he's out in the field yeah. with clients. Yeah. So you guys are just doing this basically as soon as you were able to safely open up again. Mm. You've just been going ham trying yeah. to get this all going again. Well, this year is an exception all <laughs> year because, yeah, like we had to cancel all of our January trips and all of our February trips up until this last week. Right. And so we're trying to just like honor those people and squeeze them in at the end of the year. So we're like creating new trips as this, the winter goes on. And we're like, I don't know how much winter left how much winter we're gonna have left so Fair. like we're starting to go more further and further north so that we can keep yeah. the ice going yeah. so we're going to miss navi uh in a couple of weeks Holy just because we're like well we gotta go somewhere so let's go <laughs> yeah, exactly. but wow. uh yeah it's been non-stop and it and i did actually find myself burning out like the summer we built this place our our we call it our workshop because that's ultimately why we built it. Right. Um, because if we weren't running the business, like we'd probably still be in the tent up, up the hill. Right. Um, but the business was growing faster than we could basically keep up. Like we were just barely, we were, we were almost like always one, basically like half a step behind um, with it growing. And so we knew we needed a spot for Dave's tools. Uh, because he was building toboggans out of that shelter logic with a wood stove and like it would heat up and then the moisture in the in the shelter would then drip and freeze right on his table saw and be like wow. you know those types of things and we're always dealing with generators breaking and like doesn't pull over in the coals and gaskets blowing and it's just like it's been non-stop learning which has been amazing um but it's I finally like when we built this place we we had started digging the holes the fall prior mm -hmm. but um the ground was so dry that like digging it's all clay it's all clay underneath us and so digging dry clay was just like murder which we, we even went to drove Sudbury rented a an auger came back and we had a guy your size like on we we had volunteer uh, volunteer who we do a volunteer program so right. he, he was helping us and he was on the auger just like full body and it was just not spinning at all wow. so we're just like screw it and when, when we waited until the spring then of course it was all wet and so Soft. it was a lot easier to to break it but then it was such a mess bringing it like just <laughs> landslides everywhere it was so messy but from April until we got the roof on, I think it was like mid-September. And uh, then again, we had full workshop season to go and a full mm -hmm. expedition season to go. We're putting windows in like, you know, the rush was to get the roof on, but we didn't have any windows in. Right. And uh, oh man. And it was of course the wettest summer that we've ever had. <laughs> And so you can see some water damage, like in that's insulation, the insulation got all wet. So that's not like, that's not reoccurring damage, but right. that's just because the insulation got soaked yeah. and uh, there's some floor damage on the plywood downstairs, but 
yeah, I finally felt like burnt out, but um, it's all been worth it. And that's actually one of the reasons why I went on alone because I needed a break. From the <laughs> you went on vacation by going on alone. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I think that's like going to be the sound bite of this entire episode <laughs> is that I went on vacation by going on alone. <laughs> just needed a change for a little bit, just break from. And so that's like the next step in like you you've built up Lure of the North over the last eleven years. You've been here for seven years now, and then a few years back, you just said screw it i want to go live in the wilderness completely on my own and that happened how like what what led to that mm. it's kind of funny because like it it wasn't my it wasn't my dream to do that at all actually i am a very much like a family person i like companionship like i yeah, like I'm very much like a, a family person. And so going off into the wilderness alone was not like on my top priority list. Um, Dave actually was the one that applied after seeing Jim and Ted. Right. Because um, they're friends of ours. We we were living in the tent at the time when we were watching their season. And we were like, it's like f the tent's freezing cold, but we've got our laptops and we're like in under the covers watching them. And Dave's like, Oh, like that would be really cool. I'd like to do that. And, uh, I don't even think he told me that he had applied, but yeah. of course season five was like the redemption season. Um, so he didn't get a call. And then, um, for season seven, they had contacted Dave and said, Hey, will you apply? And I guess they were on our social media or looked up our website or whatever and saw that I was also into the outdoors. And they asked, oh, like, would your wife apply as well? And for me, I heard, I was like, okay, fine. Like, we didn't, I didn't put any effort into the, like, the B-roll that you were supposed to send. Um, because we had just, they actually contacted us while we were out on the Missinabi on one of our last expeditions. And so we got back and the deadline was like three days later or something. So I was just like, well, I just walked around our property show, like they wanted you to build a shelter and whatever. And I just, I'm like, I'm not building a shelter. I'm sorry, but here is all the things that I've built. And I'm like, <laughs> right. you know, I think I can handle doing a, a shelter and I snared a rabbit and um, yeah. And so I basically just was like, oh, if you make it to the top 20, you get to go to New York and it's all expenses paid. So it's like free vacation. <laughs> I like looking for a vacation. Hope so this was a vacation. Yeah. So Dave and I both made it to the top 20. So we both got flown to New York and I was just sort of along for the ride and then um, so trying to support Dave. But then like production's smart and they're really good at like getting you to buy in and like they start pumping you up mm -hmm. and they're like in on some in some cases they're trying to scare you because they're trying to tell you like how serious it is but at the same time they want you in like they want you to buy in and somewhere along the lines when i was like having interviews and they were asking me questions about like what would you do in this situation what would you do in that situation why do you want to go and i remember uh the final interview with so it was like production casting, that kind of thing. And then the final interview was with the network. Right. So like A&E or History Channel or whatever History came in. Yeah. 
and that they were like the head honchos that was going to basically make the final decision. And I remember them asking me like, why do you want to do this? And I just like burst into tears. If you've seen the season, you know, I cry a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And I just said, I'm tired. And I just, I need a break. I've been working my ass off and like kind of saying the same thing. And I think they just saw that and was just like, she's, she's good at crying. She's happy to be vulnerable. And like, it's a, it's a story like, and I don't know. And I think like between Dave and I, they wanted us both, but they needed more females, I think. And so I got chosen and he didn't. And that's like, I, I went into the whole alone experience actually with a lot of guilt um because it was dave's dream it wasn't mine and that actually was motivation for me to do so well was because like i got chosen it was my responsibility to do well because if i if i blow this opportunity then like i've just you know not only have i stolen the dream from dave but I've squandered it. So I think right. that was a big motivation for me to continue pushing. And I did have a lot of like ups and downs, but I always brought myself back to like snap out of it. Like it's not so bad or like you're doing fine. And I was really hard on myself. And I think that that was because I wanted to do well for Dave. So that was Beautiful. a big part of why I went. So, yeah, I've been, like I told you before, I've been kind of following you guys for at least the past four or five years. So it was quite, kind of a surprise when I first saw your name came up on the list of people to come through. So it made it easy to pick who to actually cheer for. Because <laughs> each oh. season it takes you a few episodes to figure out, okay, yeah. this person's a front runner and everything. <laughs> but it was, yeah, right from the stars, okay, Kyle and Team Kyle and right oh. away kind of thing. <laughs> but, yeah watching it from the start i went back actually when i found out i was going to come here and see it again okay gotta watch refresh my memory get through it all so but yeah just learning about this whole behind the scenes kind of thing how it actually comes about i remember you saying at one point that you've spent so much time doing this with dave it's always been a partnership that you wanted to kind of do something on your own by yourself to become mm-hmm. stronger as an individual. So you could be a better business partner, a better partner in life sort of thing. How do you feel that sort of when do you feel like you really proved that to yourself? Yeah, for sure. And that's another one of those things that came out in that network interview. Yeah. It was like, I have been, yeah, Dave and I have been together for, uh, I think we're going on 14 years, uh, this, oh, wow. this spring um and we do everything together you know yeah. eat sleep business play like it's we the, we're the only ones out here and i wouldn't change it for the world but i do sometimes notice that i can i am a really good follower um yeah, yeah. you okay yeah, sorry, I heard some steps. Oh, <laughs> that's what I was called the stairs. We're gonna keep recording. Yeah. We'll keep recording. Okay. Sorry about that, guys. I'm I'm a really good follower because, and I I think that as a leader, you need to be a good follower because it's that's 
that is part of leadership is knowing when to step up and when to 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 follow and dave is such a strong leader in in all of this like from developing the property it's always been like dave can read a book and next thing you know he's an electrician or he's a, a carpenter like right. and i am the like the gopher and the the helper he'll tell me what to do i can do it um and so i have taken on more of a follower uh role in that respect and i realized that going through this whole alone and contemplating being alone that like oh like when's the last time that I really like stepped up to be on my own and have to rely on myself? Um, because even on our expeditions, we're a team. Like he doesn't make a decision without, you know, me saying yay or nay and vice versa. So it's like, you're, oh, you always have someone to, to bounce ideas off of and like being alone, there's no one to bounce ideas off of. Like it's you, only you. And so that started to be like, oh, like that would actually be kind of rewarding to prove to myself again that I can be that strong person that I think I am. And so that was that was an opportunity for me to, yeah, to just feel good about actually being a, like a partner because I know that actually as an individual, I can be um, strong as well. So yeah, I definitely that's a huge takeaway from me. And it was because all my life growing up, I was always in individual sports. It was always mm -hmm. on me. It was my time, my score. And if I failed, it was me. And like now, if we as a team fail, I can just blame Dave. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, so that was definitely something that was a, a driving force because I was afraid going in. I think everyone i think you'd be really stupid not to be a little bit yeah. afraid of what was going to happen but at the same time like i had that I, I did have that pressure to feel like i needed to perform for for dave but it was also for myself to mm -hmm. like prove to myself that i could do it so yeah, yeah exactly it's not something you should take lightly ever especially as outdoor professionals we all know anything can and will go wrong at a moment's notice and especially when you're alone and what an hour away from immediate help like they were have to come in by boat or helicopter sort of things so yeah I think it's a little dangerous did you feel like your experience here really helped you especially there are people that weren't used to it's not obviously not the arctic yeah here but just specializing in winter travel and winter survival situations you think that really helped you yeah for sure well i think the climate definitely helped because we've gone north like we've yeah. gone in minus 40 winds and um i know the you know the flora and the fauna yeah. i'm comfortable in that landscape and i was sort of pegging it as about a month ahead of our winters mm -hmm. so september was october october was november mm -hmm. and so as the temperatures were getting colder i was like aware of okay what's next what's coming down the pipe yeah. and 
I think that was an advantage for me, especially because my clothing, when I was preparing and I made all my own gear, like I was like, okay, this is what I would normally wear. I'm going to make it twice as thick because I know I'm not going to have the fat reserve for my body to keep myself warm. A lot of times people, like even the participants, when we were at orientation, they were all like, oh, Kylan, you're going to do so good. And I say, like, because you know this environment and what yada, yada, yada. And I said, like, yeah, like I know it, but I don't know it starving. Like mm-hmm. on all of our expeditions, we're packing 35 to 5,500 calories a day. Yeah. Um, you know, free. You don't mm-hmm. have to work for it. Like it's like they're in a box and you can just grab it. Um, and so I was not going in naive whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That and I and I just was very honest with I've got no idea how I'm gonna do, mm-hmm. but I'm willing to put myself out there and and try. Yeah, it was brand new landscape, something obviously you'd been there in northern Canada before, but mm-hmm. yeah, being in a unknown situation without the comfort of what you usually have with Lower the North must have been quite a bit different and obviously not a pure advantage, but something yeah. that was still at least behind you. How much was it was the Lutselke Dene that you did some work with while you were up there, one of the local yeah, we didn't actually do any work with them. Like they, um, they came and gave us a feast, and okay. they they blessed us. <clears throat> Excuse me. They did a little bit of drumming uh, okay. ceremony and and uh, a smudge and okay. wished us well and and mm-hmm. thanked us for being a part of their landscape, and we thanked them for allowing us uh, to be a part of it, and so that was really special. Um, but we didn't do any like training yeah, with them they or anything. Come show you their mm-hmm. way of life. You know, no, gonna... no, we, hmm. yeah, yeah, we, we got, uh, like a ceremony and, and a feast. Okay. Um, we did a little bit, like we had a whole week before we launched just mm-hmm. to get any little bugs out and more camera training and drink more olive oil. <laughs> 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 and, uh, we did do a plant walk with, um, Dave Holder okay. and he, Oh, Dave's great. Yeah, yeah. So he, you know, showed us the plants to look out for and stuff. But of course, we all studied well before, or at least most of us did anyways, to mm-hmm. to understand what was going to be available. But then, of course, you get dropped off and you might, I didn't have any soap berry or I didn't have any um, fireweed. So, like, yeah. you just don't know what you're going to get. And even though we were all within like 10 kilometers of each other or 20 kilometers of each other, everyone's land was different. So for sure. Um, and you're penned in with, by these geofencing too. So like, even if, for example, like I didn't have any deep water for my gill net. Um, yeah. And that was big hit for me, but when I was walk, the first thing I did day one, I walked my entire shoreline looking for a spot for my gill net because I knew like passive fishing, passive hunting, like that's the type of thing that you mm-hmm. want to be doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the gill net did so well for uh, Nathan last year on season six that yeah. it was like, well, like I've got to get it in. And um, I walked my land, and of course there's a delay because you you've got a GPS tracker. 
and uh, I got to this peninsula and I'm like, this is perfect. But I got buzzed no. and I said, please turn around, head north. And I said like, so I texted them back and I said, can I put my gill net here? And they said, no. And it was like literally 50 meters from my oh. border. And it was like this perfect, it was a peninsula and then it had a channel and a small island and it was oh man it was just a perfect little channel i was just mm. like that's where that's my gilman sure. is cool. i was like oh so but hey that's a part of it that's yeah. that's the game and i wasn't gonna let it get me down because that was part of like my 10 items when i choose i was choosing i brought Ooh. every single piece of like hunting uh, equipment that I could do because I knew I can't put all my eggs in the gill net basket because I might not get a spot to put it. And mm -hmm. so I brought my bow, I brought my snare wire, uh, and I brought the fishing hooks. And those are kind of like the four main, you know, utilitarian yeah. equipment for, for the game for acquiring food. So, um, but yeah. Was that what, what was the question? <laughs> well, it's a, we started off as the Lutzelke Dene people. Oh, right. Their yeah. Influence might have been yeah. going into everything. Oh, yeah. And then the plant walks and yeah. then where you well, get you your. You did land. answer a bunch of other questions <laughs> in the meantime. So Ryan's like just checkboxing right now. Yeah. Like, got that one, got that one, got that one. Uh, just the gear selection process mm. and everything because there's so many options to yeah. choose from. But just narrowing it down seems like quite the yeah exercise that we always yeah. do like what would i take what with me I if i was stranded on a desert island or yeah something like that, yeah yeah so. for sure the list it's a long list but when you look at the list there's really only about 12 to 15 items that yeah. would be logical mm -hmm. smart to take exactly. like i mean yeah like some of the items was like a carrying basket it's oh, like yeah. well you could probably make that out there yeah. um or like a hairbrush mm -hmm. or toothpaste or you really? know like <clears throat> yeah so the list is long but you're like yeah. axe bow you know <laughs> exactly. knife or multi-tool <laughs> pot sleeping bag like those kinds of things like yeah um so it wasn't that difficult the there was mm -hmm. like i didn't bring a saw okay um and so so that was one item that some people did bring a saw, some people didn't. I didn't bring a knife. I brought a Leatherman um, and I had modified my Leatherman to be more like a bushcraft uh, Leatherman. So it had a little mini draw knife. I turned the can opener into a more of a hook knife. Right. Um, I turned the um, screwdriver into a mini chisel mm -hmm. and so those types of things I thought that would be. And then I had my file uh, to sharpen my ax as well. Right. So I found, and then of course the pliers for cutting the snare wire, <clears throat> which is why I chose a multi-tool. It just seemed like, you know, a lot of people are very attached to their knife mm -hmm. and some people did bring their knife and not a multi-tool. Um, but guys, yeah, I'm not super attached to my knife, but I was super attached to my ax. Um, Plus and, the firewood getter. Yeah, yeah. so the axe, I was trying to, you know, it was debating with the saw. It's like, okay, well, it's more efficient to cut your firewood with a saw, but the wood is also very small up there, or most of it is anyways. And so all summer I was cutting uh, 
firewood with an axe and I cut, I cut a hundred logs, um, for a hundred days and I made a pile, <clears throat> three piles outside of the, the house for, and every day Dave would burn one. And so it was like his like little countdown advent calendar kind of thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, choosing to not bring a saw, I was really comfortable with because well, we use our ax all the time on you know, my life. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to make sure I could efficiently, you know, and pre build those muscles, um, before I was comfortable being like, yeah, no saw. So I was really happy with that decision. Hindsight, I wouldn't have brought my gill net because I didn't need it. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't have any regrets about my gear whatsoever. I was really happy yeah. with it. Exactly. Got you 80 days anyway, which I think anyone would be proud of anyways. <laughs> I'm, I've been trying, like, so I watched the first season way back when it first came out and I've not been able to get, I don't have a TV. <laughs> I, I live with a computer and my computer is half the time broken. <laughs> so I don't get to watch too much, but Ryan's been giving me the, the down low for like three months now. Cause he was like watching a little bit on Amazon here and there. And we'd get together and be like, so what have you been up to? And he'd be like, well, I was watching this. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about it. And I, I was like, I know Kyle. I know of Lou of the North, so I know mm -hmm. Kyla. That's mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. And like trying to wrap my head around all these concepts of 80 days. Like, how long were you out there in total? 80? 80. 80 days. Yeah. It's a hard number to crunch in your brain when you've not been out there. I'm not even sure what it's like. Was it go, was like going on in your head that time that whole time of eighty days, or like so? Dave's got the hundred logs, burning one log each day, counting down to hundred, and you're out there counting down to a hundred. Mm -hmm. Is there what's the psychology that's going through your mind while you're out there for the most part? That's my biggest question I've had trying to wrap my head around as as a I hate to use the word like civilian, but like a, an outsider mm -hmm. who hasn't even fully had a chance to watch the show outside like little clips here and there. Mm -hmm. What was going through your head for most of that time? <laughs> well, the first 50 days was like, oh, my God, I'm not even halfway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the number one thing that I was in my head going through was one, I made it through another day, like in one more day, one more day. Like you can't look at it as 100 days because when you do, it's like no way like get me out of here mm -hmm. um but yeah so this was different from any other season because there was a definitive mm -hmm. day um whereas other seasons it's it's endless potentially yeah. who can right last? who can last and like you don't know if that other person is about to tap and mm -hmm. so if nobody had made it to 100 days it would have been like like every other season where it would just have been the last to survive. Right. Um, but for me, it was just like one more day, one more day, one more day. Um, and being really thankful for making it through another day healthy. Yeah. And that was the ultimate um, marker for me is I wasn't going to be out there if I was not healthy. And so I was really grateful for my health out there. 
Um, and I was never, even though on the show, if you watch it, it looks like I was like, gonna tap, gonna tap. She's gonna tap. Like they used me as that pawn <laughs> to play like the suspense, yeah. right? Oh no, Kai, like, hold on. And I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to go home. And it's like, no, I was never leaving. There was no chance that I was going to leave if I, if, until I didn't have food and I was unhealthy and right. ultimately at 80 days, the thing that knocked me out was I couldn't stay warm anymore at night. And I knew the pressure system had changed and we were in for a cold week. Um, and I just like, I mean, when I, the last night <clears throat> I couldn't, I would have hot rocks in my sleeping bag and that once they would go cold and I would let my fire go out because I didn't want to, I would let it go out at night. I didn't want to have to deal with carbon monoxide um, and my shelter burning down when I'm zipped tight in a sleeping bag. Mm -hmm. Like that's not, you know, I had an, I had a good sleeping bag. I had good clothing and I, it just wasn't an option for me to keep my fire going. I just didn't want to deal with that. Um, so once my rocks would go cold, then I'd spend the rest of the night bringing one foot up to my chest, warming it up. And as soon as it would get warm, my other foot would be frozen. So it just, <clears throat> just switched feet back and forth, back and forth. And then when I would warm up after coming in from ice fishing, I'd put my hands right over the fire and the backs of my hands would be frozen. And I was just like, okay, like my feet were one thing to deal with. Um, but once I started losing my, my hands, then I was like, it's not safe anymore because you, you know, yeah. if you don't have your hands, you can't do anything. You can't do anything. And then if you can't start a fire and then in you, like you can deteriorate so quickly and you literally are alone. And so you could, pass out in the in the night and die um mm -hmm. and i wasn't willing to get there and it wasn't worth the experience for me i had gotten out of the experience what i what i needed to get and that million dollars at the end was like I, I even was thinking like as i was getting closer to the end i was actually thinking in my head like i think a million dollars is too much like i don't i don't know like i'm sure you know if i did win like that money would go to good use, but, but it's almost like it would make me lazy. Like it would kind of get you complacent and be like, yeah. well, I've got everything I need. Like I can just relax, kick back. And then what, you know, and like you would hope that that wouldn't happen. But I mean, you hear stories about people winning the lottery and it being like the worst thing that's ever happened to mm -hmm. them. Um, and so I was like in my shelter being like, I don't think a million dollars, maybe half a million. Like, well, maybe I'll split. Maybe hopefully someone will be there and we can split it. <laughs> um, but the money for me was never the motivation. It was more a like the pride of just like making it far and and doing my husband and our company proud. Um, and so that was, I mean, 80 days, the mentality behind it was, I was in it for the mentally. I, I was in it to the end for a hundred days. Like on day 80, I didn't check out mentally. I just, I acknowledged the fact that I was becoming a liability. And like, when you're a guide, 
when you're a guide, you, you, you can take care of yourself and then the group. And I'm always used to being able to look at the group and deal with the group, you know, and myself just kind of happens dealing mm-hmm. with myself. But I started to recognize in myself that I was becoming a bad client. You know, the type that like they can't, you know, they'll drop their mittens in the snow and then not think to pick them up or like mm-hmm. shake the snow out or, you know, they'll be clumsy around the fire and burn themselves and that kind of thing. And I started realizing I was being a little bit more apathetic to fire safety and um, getting, a yeah, just so I was just like, okay, like I'm aware that this is happening and I, I want to go out with a clear head and a healthy body. And so I was really thankful for making that decision because the spiral can happen quite quickly. Excuse me. I got a tickle in my throat. But don't get me wrong. There was times where I wanted to throw in the towel. Uh, Like I'm not, I'm not trying to say like everything was roses out there. Um, I remember the first time I wanted to go home was day 19. Yeah. (laughs) Because I, why was it day 19? I don't even remember what it was but i think i just started missing home and i was just like this isn't worth it and um i just want to be home and i just yeah i just wanted to be home i was missing my family already and uh, i think probably because by day 19 like my shelter was up you know the first week you don't even you can't you don't even have time to think about mm-hmm. home because you're like gotta get this done gotta get this done gotta get this Prioritize. done and you just do it you crank it out you get your trap line set up, you know, that sort of thing. And so you're just in the rhythm. I guess probably day 19 is when I started feeling like I'm all set up. And now what am I doing here? I should be at home helping Dave. Like yeah. why, what am I doing? And, <clears throat> and so there were definitely times where I want, I wanted to be home. Probably the smoke already was bad in my shelter. <clears throat> that smoke just, damn near killed me and I could not figure it out um for the life of me and I tried I tried everything everything that I had the resources to do I had to I I had to pack clay I only had one clay deposit on my whole land and it was like a kilometer away and so like I was packing I I I we had two pelican cases for all our camera gear and this was like illegal we're not supposed to use anything but I emptied that pelican case and i filled it with clay <clears throat> and i just packed it and i swear it was 100 pounds and like i did like four or five trips wow. and built a mini like a clay chimney it, it's so funny this show makes it look like it's like this little mound yeah just the little <clears throat> rim around because i needed yeah. it to, to, to dry before yeah. i could build it up again because otherwise it would just slump yeah. so they're like they show me with this tiny little chimney and they're like there it looks beautiful (laughs) it's like just a hole in the roof but but no like i worked that clay and then um yeah i I mean i tried everything and it just did not work and it must have just been a microclimate in this Mm. little bowl that i was in that the smoke just sat and it wouldn't escape and i went blind like I, i i woke up um one day and I opened up my, uh, I, or I was looking at the, the in reach for, or 
whatever they called it, the yellow brick mm-hmm. for the text message. And I could barely read it. And I'm just like, is the, is the um, lens cloudy or something? I'm trying to wipe it. No, no, no. I open up the, the, my door and it's just like blur. And I mean, like, that was scary because I'm like checking my trap line. I'm like, is that a rabbit? Actually, they actually used the audio from that. Is that a rabbit? And and it was a rabbit. But um, yeah, man, that smoke was bad. My eyes are itchy just thinking about it. Smoke tanned everything. I was smoke tanned. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You smell my moccasins. I'm sure they still smell <laughs> like smoke. They're right over your head, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. There they are. We're looking up at her, the moccasins that she wore during the show. And that was a question I had was, uh, yesterday you brought down your hat that you wore on the show. And those are the moccasins above. Mm -hmm. With all that planning, so you you were saying like you were overbuilding for warmth Mm -hmm. because you knew that you were going to be losing calories and losing body mass. You do, like we're sitting here and there's a pile of buckskin, literally (laughs) like two shelves of buckskin of different colors over there. You make kits that you sell, of course, through Lure of the North. Mm-hmm. You have the, like, uh, for lack of a better term, the seamstress skills to create this stuff. What was going through your head of, like, your planning of, like, what clothing am I going to take? I heard you mention at one point this week about your dad's sweaters or your mm. grandmother's sweaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it, like, we've, everybody talks about the gear. Everyone talks about the tools. Did you bring a, why did you bring this? Why didn't you bring that? Mm-hmm. What was going through your head to plan out the clothing? Yeah. Well, for me, the clothing was like one of my advantages is what I thought is because like, I think, and when I saw some of the other participants clothing, I was just like, Oh no, like that's your sweater or like, that's, those are your gloves. Those are your insulated gloves. And I was like really worried about some of the participants and sure, like sure enough, like it was too cold and, um, you know, among other reasons why some people didn't make it as far into the winter as, as me. But I think the clothing was my advantage because I'm not a big game hunter. I'm barely a trapper. I just know, I know travel through winter and that was like my thing. So the clothing to me was like, okay, like you got this, like use your, your skills and your, your intuition and overbuilding things. And I like, double stitched my moccasins instead of a regular, you know, what I would normally do. And I would, um, for my mittens, I used full thickness sinew instead of, you know, just the half. And, um, because then I also knew if I needed thread, then I could like unravel uh. the, the mitten and have extra thread and I could re-sew it back up. Um, I made sure that one of my fish hooks was quite small so I could turn it into a needle and um you know because actually one of the items that you can bring is a sewing kit and i'm like well no i'm just going to make everything heavy duty and then i'll have extra thread if i need it and you're not supposed to do that stuff but at the same time it is i mean it's part of your strategy right like i've heard people making salt buttons and sewing them onto their sweater as their button or like nathan from season six one of the items you can do is gorp uh and instead of just getting like a regular bag of gorp he rehydrated his raisins in salt water and then dehydrated them again uh so that his 
the salinity of his raisins was so high that it was like a salt pill. So like, cause electrolytes is something that you desperately are yeah. lacking out there. Um, and so like all these strategies you, you hear afterwards or whatever. And so I was like, yeah, okay. The clothing was my, my thing. I didn't do the salt buttons, but you know, reinforced everything really good. And I mean, the moccasins are perfect still. Yeah, they're they're in, gorgeous. like beautiful shape and uh, worked out really well. But yeah, I just knew. And like, same with like my down jacket, I went to feathered friends and was like, what is your warmest jacket? And it's like their mountaineering, like Mount Everest kind of jacket. And I was just like, I need that because I just knew, I knew what it's like being cold when I have body fat. And like, I, I just knew starving out there is not going to be easy. And I need every bit of extra clothing that I can get. So yeah. Well, you were mentioning your whole process, getting ready for it, drinking the olive oh, oil yeah. and everything, putting on that weight. It was my 11th survival item. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But even just mentioning once you got out there, your body just wanted to get right back to that original state and how you lost, how much weight was it? So I lost, um, what, did I, what did I say? I, um, 19 pounds. Did I say in 11 days? No, it was it. What did I say? Yeah, I think it was. I yeah. don't remember now. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. It's Do you like, remember what I said? I think <laughs> it was can't remember that. exactly. But it was yeah. It was quick. It was, it was quick. quick. I think yeah. I think it was by like the first check in was on day eleven, and I had already lost mm -hmm. all the extra weight um, that I put on. So I put on twenty extra pounds, and uh, that was brutal. I mean, yeah. it was I. Dave had left for a month right before I left. He went to Nunavut and did some work up there. And so I was left on my own to do all, all of my gear and gain weight. And I remember picking him up at the airport. It was like one week before I was to leave. And he like, he gave me a hug and like kind of put his hands around my side and he just like laughed. Cause I was like 20 pounds heavier than when he'd seen me last. Yeah. And it was a bit funny, um, but yeah, it was my, but it got me 11 extra days, right? Mm, like, exactly. but yeah, it was. That's and, a dog folks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> for anybody worried that there's a flood in the house, that's just the dog in some water. <laughs> oh, Hank. He <laughs> said, <laughs> well, now that they all know, I'm just going to have a good drink. One of the beauty, one of the beautiful things about recording this live and doing all the things that we do, having an animals. We, whenever we record at the house, you'll hear our dog shuffle around upstairs and playing with bones. At least Hank mostly just naps. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Got a good drink, buddy. Awesome. Take my sweater off. <laughs> so, thinking about all those things, like I remember with Morse, uh, Morse Kohansky, who I learned a little bit about, uh, learned a little bit from over the years. One of the things that he often preached was like, your clothing is your first line of shelter. And like, clearly you were in that kind of same headspace. Mm -hmm. Was there anything else that you kind of like saw that you were definitely in the same headspace as like correlating with certain skill frames from different teachers or things that came to mind? Like when you're out there, like, People are always like, rules of three, you have three seconds of clear thought, three minutes without oxygen, three days without uh, water, three weeks without food. 
that everybody always talks about that. Was there any like simple like things you've learned over the years? Because you've learned from a few people over the years, mm-hmm. mentors and teachers over the years. Was there anything that kept kind of like ringing home to you while you were out there? WWD do. What would Dave do? <laughs> <laughs> what would Dave do? Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. To be honest, it's funny. I started like thinking about like writing a book and like being like, who are my mentors? Who are my heroes? And like, I'm almost ashamed to say that I don't have actually that in my life where I'm like, I learned from Morris Kuchansky. He is my idol. He is my God. This is who I am because of this person. And, um, like, it's actually always been something that I'm embarrassed about is that I don't like, even when I was growing up and I was like a competitive athlete, I was first was gymnastics. And when my brother was in hockey, he was always like, he knew who his guy was that he like wanted to be, you know? And for me, I was just like, I just want to, be my best. I just want to do my best. I want to be better. How can I be better? And I understand that like learning from people is super important and that's like how you're going to grow. Um, but like, yeah, it, it's, it's something that I'm struggling with. Like, as I'm like wrapping my head around, like, who are my heroes? And like, why do I do the things I do? It's not just because I made it up. But, um, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one for me because I don't, I'm not actually a a big reader in the sense that, like, um, I'll read something and be really influenced, except for this one book that I read before I left, and that was on Stoic philosophy. And, And the philosophy of Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus, and um, so this guy, Ryan Holiday, he's an author, he's our age, um, but he encapsulated Stoic philosophy in such a way that like just really made sense to me. And so while I was out there, that's what was going through my head was perspective and um, perseverance and resilience and endurance and um looking at things objectively taking you out of the picture and looking at it and being like it's not so bad because you know like you're trying to help when you when you go to help your friend it's a lot easier to help your friend because you look at the problem from Mm -hmm. an objective eye so if you can take your problem take you out of it and look at it and all of a sudden you see the solution and so those are the types of things that were going through my head you know uh is it up to you is it up to you to that that moose showed up when you didn't have your bow no so why are you upset about it it's you know you learn from it and so those types of things you know was it up to you that that lynx stole your bunny no so why are you crying you know like get up and take action and those were the types of things that were going through my head um as far as like hard skills teaching um, yeah, of course. I mean, Morris Kuchansky's Bushcraft book, I think everybody read it and I read it before I was even 
interested in it was like one of the first books i read when i was like gonna go for a hiking trip kind of thing and it's right. just like it's something that you read i mean less Stroud for crying out loud like i mean totally. those types of books you just they're part of everybody's lingo i think um but like do i idolize someone do i like am i just like always it's this person's kind of leadership and mentorship that i that i follow you know like i know if someone learned from moors because they've got a knife around their neck <laughs> you know and i'm just like you're a moors guy and like and that's great i love that that people have that but like dave and i both were like we've we've kind of taken our own path with things and have like taken bits and pieces from people and hybridized yeah yeah and it's something that i'm like i remember hearing a, a chat from david delafield who you know yeah, yeah. at the winter camping symposium a couple of years ago and his whole talk was giving credit to people uh you know that you've learned from and like i was embarrassed to just be like i like of course I have like the Conovers. I mean, sure. Gary and Alexander Conover, like I'll give them credit because that book is what like sparked our whole business. Um, and so that is easy for me. That's an easy one. Check. Like I got them in my repertoire, but then it's like, you know, um, who else? And it's sort of just like, well, I don't know. Like we've kind of just done it like on our own. And I don't like, I'm not trying to be uh, egotistical or anything. It's just like, that's just how, I work and I've always worked that way is like focus on yourself um, and improving yourself. So There's know. something brilliant about that. <laughs> I hope, I hope so. I hope it's not coming across that I'm no, like, I, not whatsoever. I can relate to that in the same way. Cause Caleb's always asking about those certain things about guys. I'm like, I don't know about them or yeah. like just mentioning yeah. certain people is like, I'm a name dropper. <laughs> I got so used to just going out and doing things in the wild. And then I did. Yeah. You picked up uh, Northern bushcraft by Morris mm -hmm. and everything like that. But sometimes you, you playing catch up, learning about people and it's, it's an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. So it's, but at the same time, you're like, should I know who this person is? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's even better that you don't like, I find yeah. it very, beautiful and kind of poetic that you're carrying on these traditions without having to worry about the egos of the past mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. there's something very beautiful about that like you're honoring those traditions without having to like hold someone up on a pedestal mm -hmm. moore's never wanted people to do that mm -hmm. gino had a fairy someone who's taught both of well you worked uh, you had his company teach you when you were in university right mm -hmm. uh and he was one of my mentors growing up people put him up on a pedestal all the time and it's never what him or Jennifer Connor, anybody mm -hmm. SITV wants. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's the point of <laughs> as the cat crashes things around. I'm loving this. This is just like my place. <laughs> this is great. You um, okay, Lenny? <laughs> I think he's fun. Yeah. He's fun. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the beauty is no one comes into this wanting to be the next idol. Nobody wants to come in and be the next Morris Kohansky. But a lot of people are looking for the next Morris Kohansky. And if you're just doing your own thing, you're being more Morris Kohansky than anybody else. He was the one that was testing things out. He was the one figuring out the boundaries. He was the one figuring out his own philosophies on stuff. And he was mm -hmm. learning with people like Tom Roycroft, of course, but they were learning together mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, kind of like how you and I work together. Mm -hmm. And that's really beautiful to me. As someone who's been raised like by the old guard and has been around the old guard enough 
I kind of envy you guys of being able to just be like, I just do it because I do it. Mm-hmm. I just do this because it sounds right or feels right. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm sitting there like, you have to follow this. You pound it into your head every single day and drill into you. It's mm-hmm. really kind of cool to sit back and be like, the freedom that you have mm-hmm. to be able, be able to just say, I'm going to do this because it feels right. I'm not sure if I'm getting too redundant there, but it feels yeah, yeah. beautiful uh, to listen to. I appreciate to. you saying that. I'm glad you think that. Because, I, yeah, like, it is something that, like, kind of bugs me. But at the same time, I also, Dave and I have said many times that we're like, kind of glad I'm not like a part of this clique or like this tribe or we kind of have our own little, we have this own little wing that we like, like we are connected to people and, but we also are also very focused on just what we're doing and, and like doing it well, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're not shy to, to learn from other people. It's just like, we're happy. We're really happy doing our thing. Um, and yeah so i love it i'm glad you it. think that <laughs> I, I freaking love it that's good things to do things for the right reasons rather than being in the in crowd like oh this is what i should do this i is, should wear a knife around I, my neck yeah i uh. should wear these clothes i should do all these special tricks and stuff like that but just forging your own path and doing what you want to do like you even said men molding together the old fashioned style with new Mm-hmm. And creating your own thing. That's mm-hmm. really something to admire, I think. Totally. Yeah. Like, one of, the, I mean, the biggest thing for us is like, we want mm-hmm. what works and what works best. Yeah. It just so happens that I mean, the traditional mm-hmm. snowshoe is the best apparatus, piece of equipment to mm-hmm. get you through the deep snow of the boreal forest. We don't need to reinvent it. Yeah. But weaving it with fish line makes more sense for us because it doesn't stretch it doesn't need maintenance and you know but we still use the wooden ash frame and you're still using the same pattern yeah exactly so you know we're honoring that those traditional skills with a a a little upgrade and uh you know one of the first things i i noticed when i got here was when i saw the shredded tire in your collection of gear of uh supplies craft supplies over there mm-hmm. there's this jar of shredded tire mm-hmm. shredded rubber and as soon as i turn around i was like is that for moccasin soles mm-hmm. and you just grinned I'm like yes <laughs> someone else is doing this <laughs> because i don't know how many times i've seen people with moccasin soles that have holes in them mm-hmm. from wearing them on the ice again mm-hmm. and again they get on some asphalt and they get on some rough crusty snow and they wear it out and years back my buddy mikhail and i started developing that same concept of taking mm-hmm. that rubber and mixing with a barge cement and painting that on the shoes mm-hmm. and looking up, I can see there's the exact same sole that I have on every mm-hmm. moccasin I have at my house. Mm-hmm. And it's the same solution. It's a brilliant solution of hybridizing mm-hmm. of saying, okay, we need a tougher sole, mm-hmm. but the moccasin is so damn good. Yeah, exactly. And it retains its flexibility too. Which, yeah. yeah. And that's something that a lot of people can learn from is instead of trying to be, let's say, 100% purist or yeah. 100% tech reliant. Yeah, exactly. Let's mix this up. Let's let's mm-hmm. use solar panels while we're out on long distance trips so that we can still charge up and be able to get good shots with our cameras yeah. or charge our flashlights so that they're lighter so that we don't have to carry a bunch of batteries. Mm-hmm. That's cool. At the same time, let's still use a canvas yeah. tent. Let's mm-hmm. still use a cedar strip canvas canoe. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Let's still enjoy the landscape in those ways. Yeah. Exactly. I like it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I guess my one more 
question. Yeah, we don't want to make this too yeah, long. We're not going to go too long because how is what is what's your plan for the future with Lower the North? I guess that what was is, my next question. What has changed since you've been on the show, and where do you think you're taking it from here? That is a loaded question. Yeah, because we're always <laughs> we're always talking about yeah the next plan where we're going and i think that's important because if you're not if you're not evolving then you're mm -hmm. dissolving Stagnated. dissolving <laughs> I like that. um and we love being here and mm. developing courses here and just spending time here um i'm just in love with this place and after alone like all i want is to be home because I just yeah. like, I love my dog. I love my house. I love my couch. <laughs> I love my tea in a cup that's not rusty and has holes in it. Um, but we, uh, we have a lot of cool things planned. Um, one in particular is our 90 day snowshoe yeah. trip next year. Um, and that's because we've wanted to do one ever since we did our 40 day trip back in 2010. And um, we, our business has been doing quite well with the expeditions. And, you know, when we first started our business, people like reputable professionals in the industry said, you'll never sell long trips. People only, people nowadays want shorter and shorter trips. They want the weekend bucket list check marks. Mm -hmm. And Damon, I just said, well, we don't want to do that we want longer trips. We want to be out. Like that's the whole reason we're starting this business is to like get outside for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. We're well aware of the value of being out for a long period of time. You can't just be out for three days. You have to be out for at least a week before you can start yeah. enjoying what's happening to you. You know, the first three days, you're just worried about your gear and like staying comfortable and then by day four you can start okay i've got my system down you know day four you can start looking up and enjoying where you are day five you can start enjoying the group that you're with and then they you know six and seven you're enjoying like the actual healing that you're going through in the wilderness um you know Whereas a weekend, it's just like, you're already thinking about the things you have to do when you Monday. get home the day that you get out there. Yeah. Um, so we just decided to do seven day trip and, you know, we sold it and we're like, okay, this is great. People like it. And we said, well, let's try a two week trip and it sold um, quite well. And then, and then all of a sudden our one week trips weren't filling up because people wanted the two week trip. I'm like okay this is cool um and then so we're like let's try a three-week trip and so we did a three-week trip and then all of a sudden our two-week trip wasn't adventurous <laughs> enough for some people so it was like okay like i like this and and we've wanted to just spend more and more long distance time in the wilderness um since that 40-day trip and so after alone it was like kind of the kick in the but to be like, yeah, like we got to do this and it's now or never. Um, and we said, well, because by the time our season wraps up, people are already asking what's next year. Like, what are we doing next year? Cause mm -hmm. we have a lot of returning uh, participants. So 
our trip, our season is kind of already foretold before we even get there. And so we decided this year, like, okay, the only way we're going to be able to do this is if we sell legs of the, the journey. So we can sell like one week, two week, three week chunks. And so, but we put it out there to kind of a select few people um, that have been coming back for years. And all of a sudden we had six people signed up for the whole thing. We're like, wow, okay, this is, this is happening. Like people paid their deposit and was like, okay, they're in. Um, and then we realized we can't sell the sections because now we've got 14 people signed up for the whole thing and we have to cut people. So like right, right now, I think, I think we have 15 people that have paid their deposits for the whole 90 days. And so we have to pare it down to 12 or sorry, 10 because it's 10 participants and the two of us. So um, that's something huge that's going on next year. But as far as the company's vision is going to be <clears throat> um, more focused on, on getting out all year round and less focus on the retail and trying to figure out a way to manage that because the retail part of our business is something that we just started because people were taking our workshops and then wanted to go home with more materials. So we started DIY kits because, you know, it just made sense. And that part of our business has just like exploded and it's pulling us away from the things that we love. And so even though the, the retail part is great because it's getting people that, uh, um, empowerment to make their own gear because that's the whole reason we started the workshops was because we found it was so empowering to make your pair of moccasins and then actually get out and use them and realize that they're better than any other footwear that you've ever worn. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we like. That was a spark for us. And we love passing that spark on to other people, but just as a two-man show it's pulling us away from actually being outside so that's something that's like something we're trying to work through brilliant <laughs> well we're coming to the end of the episode i want to thank you so much for spending this time having the patience to stay up late with us and do this recording <laughs> uh i have one last question for you and that is trying to say this the right way uh -oh. Where in the world would you be if you weren't here? Hmm. And what brought you to this place instead of there? Hmm. Where would I be? I'm joking. That wasn't the question. Oh. What is one of the most important skills you've learned in the last tw uh, almost 12 years? Well, going on 11 years. Uh, running lure the north but also being on alone what's the number one skill that you've really be, it's become part of you and part of your psyche and part of your personality hmm gosh you had me thinking about the other question <laughs> where would i, I be you um i think resilience is probably something that is ingrained into me now is like there is no no and if you 
need to make something work, you will find a way. The obstacle is the way. And like time after time after time, we've learned that lesson from our business, from moving out here to building this place, to going on alone. If you want to get somewhere, you will find the way. And that is just the reality. You just don't give up and you find a way. And not only do you find a way, but it was the right way. Everything that you've done up to this point happened because you kept going. And yeah, like there's, there's times it's not, I'm not saying like I've never given up on anything, but it, but you have to like, for example, tapping, I tapped on day 80, I gave up, but that wasn't giving up to me. That was acceptance that I had gotten what I needed to get out of that experience. And that was time to move on to the next experience. You're not quitting. You're, you're moving on. And that's something like, you can't just be a dead horse. You know, you're not like, I'm not saying you never give up on something because like, no, this has got to work. Like you're not forcing something to happen, but you're finding a way to get to where you need to go. And that's probably what has gotten me where I am now. That book on stoicism really did a number on you. Huh? <laughs> totally. But I realized that I realized that that book is something I've already been living yeah. and it's just given me maybe a language to speak to it a little bit more fluently. It was the translation guide for you. Yeah, exactly. I was like, Oh, Hey, this is kind of my Bible. <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading your future books. As <laughs> the one you're thinking about writing. As so. am I. <laughs> well, Kai, after seven days with you working on these hides, making grease, making soap, watching the students pick the bones clean of <laughs> those car carcasses and skulls, making hides. It's been great. Mm -hmm. This episode was phenomenal. Uh, I'm very happy that we had you on the show. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Um, yes, I'm not going to speak you. for Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. This is this was amazing. Appreciate this so much. Uh, the last thing we want to say is for uh, those listening who want to learn more about Lure the North, where can they find you? Mm, at Lure the North on Facebook, on Instagram, and LureTheNorth.com is our website. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Have a good night. Miigwech. Thank Miigwech. you. Wow. Huge shout out to our special guest, Kylan Maroney from Lure the North. You can find her on her social media of at Lure the North, or of course on her, uh, her and her husband Dave's website, lureofthenorth.com, where you can find awesome kits to put together your own winter trekking equipment for boots or mittens or what have you, but you can also schedule your own trips with them. These folks are true badasses, and I highly recommend you check them out any which way you can. And of course, a huge shout out to my amazing co-host, Ryan the Adventure Guy. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode, brother. Uh, you had some great, awesome questions for Kai, and clearly, I got the right guy on my side with this show. Thanks again, brother. And just like any other episode that we do, we can't end this one without giving a huge shout out to our patrons and supporters at Patreon. People like Joseph Pitawanaquat, Morgan Sturgeon, Jesse Grindler, Sharon Duma, and Kenny. 
Thank you so much to all of you. You keep the lights on here. You keep the uh, energy flowing. You keep literally and figuratively. You keep our bills being paid so that we can actually do this show and actually justify doing this show every week. Thank you so much to all of you. And if you want to be a supporter, you can jump on over to Patreon. We have $1 tiers all the way up to $60 tiers. Check them all out. And of course, as per usual to all of you, thank you for watching. Thank you for tuning in. Much love to all of you. Be safe. Be healthy. Take care of one another. See you soon.